Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together, for He is worthy and worthy to be praised. Do you believe it? Yeah, I'm not convinced. Do you believe it? Y'all should know by now when I speak, I expect you to believe that He is worthy and worthy to be praised, right? So for those of you that haven't, uh, haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Chaplain Harrison. Uh, I'm in 2nd Brigade, 214 Cav, and I've been on the island for about a year. And since we're in paradise, I'm planning for the next 20. I don't know what the Army's plans are, but, you know, I can make my own plans. Um, but we've been enjoying the life, especially since COVID is lifting up and we can, you know, begin to enjoy. I heard amen there. Uh, <laughs> and so here we are. Um, it's my pleasure to be a part of Schofield Community Chapel, work with some of the, the best pastors and best chaplains that, uh, that I've ever worked with And uh, since I enlisted in 19. And uh, that's good. Um, at least I'm not you know, as old as some other senior chaplains that served with Moses, but I won't call Lewis out because he's got feelings. All right. Turn with me this would this morning to Daniel chapter 5. As, as we get ready for Daniel, and we've been going through the book of Daniel, one of the things that, that, you know, that we've been talking about is ten times better, right? Making ourselves ten times better because, sorry, yeah, we're, we, we, we've tried to be really weird, and Chaplin says he's, Daniel is ten times better. And the reason Daniel was ten times better, as we learn from chapter 1, is before he got the blessing of God, he had resolved in his heart. The resolve came before the blessing. The resolve came before the outcome of being ten times better. So the, if there's a central point that, that I as a chaplain want us to understand and get as we go through the book of Daniel, is to what are you and me resolving in our hearts? What is our resolve? What is our passion? What is our focus? What, is, what do we want to be? And, and I realize that we have careers. I realize that we have families. I realize that we have, you know, life. But the challenge is sometimes we let life get in the way of our resolve instead of letting our resolve direct our life. And what I mean by this, what I mean by that is this. The reality of our resolve is our resolve should be to be like God. Our resolve should be to worship Him and Him alone and seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all of these other things will be added unto you. I expect Christians to be the most professional NCOs in the core. I expect my chaplains to be ten times better than those of their, our counterparts in the civilian sector. We have expectations. I expect my children to grow in righteousness. But that only comes after I have a resolve in my heart to put God first. Once again, seeking ye first. Here in Daniel chapter 5, we see a continuance of the idea of Daniel's resolve. Daniel's resolve is not to be ten times better. Daniel's resolve is just to honor and worship and remember the things that God has done for him. Daniel's resolve is just to be righteous. And because of that, him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the stories of Daniel here that we see end up being ten times better. One of the things that we see making Daniel ten times better is in Daniel chapter 5 where we literally see the hand of God or the fingers of God. 
I want to read some of this story, if you would, from Daniel chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1, it says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in front of a thousand. So here we have a new king, but the same Daniel, okay? Belshazzar, when, when he tasted the wine, he commanded the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, the temple built to the Most High God, right? Be brought out, and that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines, they might drink of them. And they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, and I will add, of the Most High God, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king of his lords and his wives and the concubines, they drank from them. They drank wine, and they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It's easy for us as Paul's. It's easy for us as Christians to think, well, we don't have those idol worships. We do. We'll get there. I promise you, we have idols in our lives too. He continues in verse 5 after they've drank wine from, from things taken from God's temple. He says, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And the king's color changed. He got scared, to say the least. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. And the king called loudly to bring in the the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Look, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and I have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men, they came in. Well, that'll get them out, right? I'll clothe you in purple. I'll make you rich. I'll make you famous. I'll make you number three of the kings. And then the kings and the wise men came out. However, they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed again. And the lords were perplexed. His wife gives him, and I'm going to summarize 10 through 12 here. His wife gives him the advice. I know of somebody whose reputation precedes him. Call Daniel, who your father used. He goes on in verse 13, and we begin again where Daniel begins to interpret this. He says, Then Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to Daniel, You are that Daniel of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard that you have the spirits of the gods in you, and that light and understanding excel wisdom are found in you, and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. That's what he really wanted, just fix this, right? Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in all the kingdom. So he tries to bribe Daniel just like he did anybody else who failed. And then Daniel said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. But nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Holy God, my Father, I ask the same thing that you gave to Daniel. Make known to us your word. (laughs) Make known to us your will for our lives as you made known through Daniel to the king. 
Father, and I ask the same thing for myself that you gave Daniel. Simply use me as a vessel as I preach and proclaim your word. It's not about me. It's not about these chaplains. It's not about the songs that we sang, but it's rather about the God that we lifted our voices up to. It's about the God who inspired these words that we read today. And it's about your word that will change and mold and transform our lives. Father, as we go through your word in Daniel chapter 5, speak to us, mold us, change us, help us embrace your word so that we may live a life worthy of the calling to which we have received. I ask all these things in the name, the name of my Savior, Jesus the Christ. All God's children said, we have a story here literally of the hand of God. And it's about to come down. So when I was a kid, my dad firmly believed in corporal punishment. Now, I want to give you a disclaimer and say in no way was my father abusive. So it's on Father's Day, and if he, as I know that he will, watch this sermon, and as I know that he will, critique this sermon and tell me everything I should have said or didn't say, and probably send me an email with a written synopsis of where I failed uh, him as a child. Happy Father's Day, Dad. <laughs> Um, the reality of this is my father believed in corporal punishment. Now, I can count on one hand the, the number of times that my dad actually spanked me, and I remember them well. And it's probably happened more, but I don't remember the other ones because he did his job so well. But I can count on one hand the number of times my dad actually spanked me. I remember specifically one time I spoke out against my mother. I disrespected her, and my dad worked with the railroad and worked these crazy shifts, and he had one night, and I forgot what I said to my mother, but I remember I disrespected her because he ingrained the lesson very well in my mind. My mom ultimately says, you wait till your dad gets home. That's all she said. You wait till your dad gets home. And I thought to myself, she'll forget. She didn't. I assure you she didn't. Dad had a late shift, a train to jump the track and for a railman and a brakeman. When a train jumps the track, for whatever reason, it causes a long night. And so he was exceedingly late that night. I don't know, oh, dark 30. I'm good. Mom forgot for sure because mom's asleep. She wasn't. She didn't. And she presumably told dad. All I remember is I was sleeping because my parents have taken great care of me. And I remember a gust of wind as dad apparently ripped off the covers, pulled me out of my bed, and tore my tail up. Never said a word. Never said anything. Just the gust of wind and the feel of his hand on my thigh that says, disrespect my bride again. And then he just walks out as if the punishment's complete. It was, I remembered, and that was the last time I ever disrespected his bride, my mother. And I remember that because the mighty hand of my father came down on my tail that evening. I woke up the next morning. I didn't remember much of anything, but my rear end reminded me that was not a dream. Now see, earlier we see Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and we have the hand of God that is very visible here. And it left an impression, like on my rear end, that God is now speaking. And you will hear His Word. It's almost like the NCO's knife hand, right? There's nothing more effective than the knife hand of an NCO. And, and if, if you've been around long enough like I have, 20 years of service, and I see the degree of knife hands. Like the knife hand that points to the side, it means I'm instructing you. 
Like, I'm offering you this very sharp knowledge. And then as it cants toward, it's getting a little more direct. Now listen, soldier. Here's where you done messed up, Aaron. And you're going to fix it. And if you don't fix it, I'm going to cant the blade a little sharper, and it's coming straight towards you. And now you know you really done messed up. And then if it ever gets like this, you're about to get, just, just understand, the hammer of an NCO is about to come down. Here we have the hand of God. We've seen Daniel interpret dreams. We've seen Daniel tell Nebuchadnezzar of his dreams that nobody else saw. And quite literally, God is still being disrespected and disregarded. Nebuchadnezzar begins to at least respect God to a certain degree. Some would say that he became saved. Some would argue about it. I'm not here to question that. My only prayer is I do see him on the other side of eternity. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's not the point of the message here. But the reality is, is, you know, we see this progression where he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, and here is a very public display of the hand of God writing on the wall where Belshazzar says, oh, maybe I should pay attention to that writing. What does it say? But he can't read it, much less interpret it. Calls all the Chaldeans to see what this hand of God is saying. And nobody knows. And he just thinks that he's in trouble and he gets even more fearful. His color changes. And then, like a good wife, she says, I remember even though you've forgotten. I want to look at three things that I really see about the message here. Because I'm Baptist, they have to be in threes. And because I'm Baptist, they're all going to start with the same letter R. It just kind of it works out. And if it doesn't work out, we have to make it. It was my seminary training. But as we look at this, I see some things that we as Christians must do to be dedicated to the gospel call on our lives. First of all, this king, who was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, who saw these things happen, was told about Daniel. And we'll see that in a few minutes. The thing that we see here is remembrance of the work of God in the past is essential to secure a righteous future. Remembrance of the work of God in the past is essential to secure a righteous future. It's essential for us as believers to understand where we are today based on the things that God has done for us in the past. I am the man I am today because of all of my yesterdays. The good, the bad, the ugly, and different. All the blessings that I had were from the hand of God. All the challenges that I had were allowed by God. As James reminds us in James 1, right? Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Ultimately, these challenges are being used to mold us. Which means that the challenges that you're going through today, whatever they may be, raising a child, raising a newborn, this is my first child and I'm figuring it out. You know what, I'm a, I'm a high school graduate now and I really don't know what that looks like. I'm supposed to figure out a career path. I don't know where I'm going. Do I stay in the army? Do I get out? I've got 20 years of service. Do I retire or do I go forward? Whatever. Whatever our challenges are, they are ordained and they're allowed by God and God is using them to mold us. I believe that. All of your yesterdays. But see, here's a challenge of a king that forgot where he came from. Look at verse 17, or beginning in verse 18 of chapter 5. 
He says, O king, this is Daniel speaking, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, my God, the God, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father's kingship and greatness, a glory and majesty, because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, all nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly and was brought down from this kingly throne and his glory was taken from him, he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was of the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Now, if you've been here for the previous messages preached by my brother chaplains, you know about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He goes on in verse 22, and you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. He knew the stories. He knew the past. He knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He knew all of these things that God had done, that the Most High God done. Not the ones mentioned earlier in verse 4 of chapter 5 where they drank and they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Not these false gods, not these idols that have been made, but the God of the Most High. He knew these stories and he just forgot them and refused to ignore them. Here's a story of a royal brat that was raised in luxury and prided himself on that luxury as if it was one that he had earned by his own hands. He had forgot that he, what God had done for him. I, I would consider, consider ourselves many times, or caution ourselves rather, as Christians, we need to be careful of being royal brats raised and blessed by our Christian homes that were raised in Western civilization that forget where our blessings come from. We must humble our hearts and realize that our blessings and the fact that we are here come from, as Daniel had to tell Belshazzar, the Most High God. Your blessings are from Him and Him alone. And let me tell you, you will find out the dangers of forgetting where your blessings come from and the dangers of not honoring that. This King Belshazzar, not only does Scripture recall him as an idiot, and I say that with great, you know, that's the Hebrew word, trust me. Um, he, he's an idiot. He forgets that God has blessed him and that he is there by the mighty hand of God. He doesn't know this. History tells us that he is surrounded by his enemies. We know this from Jeremiah chapter 51 and other extra-biblical resources that tell us of what's coming to Babylon. Let me read from Jeremiah 51. This is from the message. Now, I'm going to tell you this. The message is a paraphrase. It is not a word-for-word translation, but I love the way that the message paraphrases this. In 51, beginning in verse 36, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he chewed up my people and he spit out the bones. He wiped his dish clean. He pushed back his chair and he belched a huge gluttonous belch. Lady Zion says, the brutality done to me be done to Babylon. And Jerusalem says, the blood spilled from me be charged to the Chaldeans. And then I, God, step in to say, I'm on your side, taking up your cause. I am your avenger. You'll get your revenge. I'll dry up their rivers, plug their springs. Babylon will be a pile of rubber scavenged by the stray dogs and cats, a dumping ground for the garbage of a God-forsaken ghost town. The Babylonians will be like lions and their cubs, ravens, roaring for food. I'll fix them a meal, all right. A banquet, in fact. 
they'll drink themselves falling down drunk. Dead drunk, they'll sleep and they'll sleep and they'll sleep and they'll never wake up. God's decree. I'll haul these, quote, lions off to the slaughterhouse, he says. He goes on in verse 57, once again from the message of paraphrase that catches the idioms of the Hebrew Scripture exceedingly well. He says, I'll get them drunk, the whole lot of them, princes, sages, governors, soldiers, dead drunk, they'll sleep and sleep and sleep and never wake up. The king's decree. His name, God of the angel armies. God of the angel armies speaks. The city walls of Babylon, those massive walls, we flattened. And those gates, huge gates, will be set on fire. The harder you work at this empty life, the less you are. Nothing comes of ambition like this but ashes. I think God's had enough. I don't think God's very content with Babylon. He's ready to bring the hand down. So after Daniel gives his little history lesson to this arrogant royal brat. Daniel tells him that you knew these things. Fathers, let me take a brief pause here on Father's Day to remind us that it's not enough to teach your children the history lesson. We must train them. You see, teachers can teach math, science, and arithmetic, right? But there's a difference between training and teaching. Scripture tells us to train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. There's another verse in Scripture that tells us to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That word discipline in the Greek is gymnasium. It comes from our modern word gymnasium. And the word gymnasium means to train. To great. I think of if any of you have been watching the, the, uh, the Olympic trials, getting ready for the Olympics. I'm, I'm not big on watching gymnastics and all the track and field throughout the year, but when the Olympics come, we, we follow it a little bit. And like a world record was smashed with a shot put the other day by like several inches. Like, and by when you're talking about the world of shot put, that's measured in like quarter inches and things like that. To beat it by like eight inches, I think it was, is just crushing it that it stood for 20 years. These athletes that run faster than I can watch, like, I'm struggling. Seven and a half minute miles, yeah. <clears throat> We're there, but we don't like it. And then you watch some of these ladies run like five-minute miles, and they're done. They're just flipping their hair. Like, good. And you're like, wow. They can do that because they have trained. They have spent many hours in the gym. They have spent many hours training to become the athlete that they have become. These contortionists called gymnasts that flip their bodies in ways that I don't even want to flip it, they do that through years of training and discipline for the purpose of attempt of becoming the best. I need to ask ourselves, what are we training our children to discipline themselves in, fathers? Are we training them to be athletes of God, if we would? Just a side note. Remembrance of the work of God in the past is essential to secure a righteous future. Belshazzar forgot the lessons of the past. You have a holy word full of lessons from the past. You had the wisdom of your father if you were raised in a godly home as I was to lean off of. If you weren't raised in a godly home, you have wisdom of plenty others to learn from, from godly men. 
I need senior chaplains that have been doing the chaplain thing longer than I've been alive. Well, maybe not that at this point. I'm not as young as I like to be, I say. Let's be real. But I need that wisdom and knowledge, and I want to hear it. And when people speak, I should listen. Children, when those around you speak, listen. Adults, when those who have been around you speak, listen. For they have learned from the trials before. Not only that, we must learn that reverence for the divinity of God is essential to peace. And that fullness of peace can only be found through salvation. Reverence for the divinity of God is essential for peace. This peace was not coming because the Babylonians were not showing the proper reverence or worship to the Most High God. And it got progressively worse when Nebuchadnezzar left the throne. Belshazzar has no reverence. You see a progression from the king where he begins to turn towards God. Whether he fully did and confessed, don't know, not getting there. Hope that he did. Right? But the reality is he begins to at least honor it when he says, hey look, nobody better speak an ill word against Daniel's God. He never directly says he's my God and that's the difference in salvation. The world can recognize a God, but if they don't recognize the God of Scripture, then that's not salvation. But at least he respected them. And Belshazzar is like, nah, go get the stuff from the temple that you know, Nebuchadnezzar's father took from the Jews and let's just, let's just have a good old orgy. Let's just have a good old party. Let's just have a good time. We'll drink wine from things that were dedicated to the Most High God. And at that time, God has enough. Let me tell you, even the king's father knew not to respect, disrespect God in such a way. I need you to know what worship is because obviously the Babylonians did not. Worship, by definition, means to ascribe the proper worth to. As in lordship, to ascribe the worth to one who is a lord. Worship is to ascribe to the one who is worthy. And let me explain to you, there is only one. It's my Highlander story for you. There can be only one. And He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of honor. He is worthy of everything that you have to give. And if you give Him everything you've got, then and only then can we be ten times better. If we ascribe to Him the proper worth, the proper reverence, the proper divinity, are you ascribing Him His worthiness? Fathers on Father's Day, mothers on Father's Day... Are you helping your fathers ascribe to the proper worth of God? Are we teaching our children to be children who worship God? Not on Sundays, not in this chapel, but in their schools, in their homes, as they play on the playgrounds with their friends. Are we teaching them that when one of their friends says, you know what, I haven't been feeling good, I haven't been sick, or my mom's sick, that I will pray for you as a nine-year-old child. Are we teaching them, not only teaching them, but as we just explained a minute ago, training them up in righteousness? Are we spending enough time in God's gym? Are we lifting the heavy weight of Scripture? Are we lifting our children and teaching them to ascribe to God the proper reverence? God's hand reminds Him of who God is. They're having a good old time. They're just drunk and drinking from vessels that were dedicated to God. And all of a sudden, he's thinking, maybe I've had a little too much. 
This is the hand of God. But the writing is still on the wall after the hands are gone. So it is quite obvious that the writing is still on the wall and everybody's like, where did this writing come from? We have no idea. The king's trying to figure it out. And the king's scared. Literally, his color changes. His knees are knocking. And I can only say he's about to wet his pants, man. He is scared out of his ever-loving mind. And rightfully so. Because you can fear God in one of two ways. You can fear Him in honor of His reverence and worthiness and His divinity, or you will tremble before Him when you finally do figure it out. Scripture reminds us that every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. And if we either fear His God and and Lordship and His worthiness and His reign and His power and His divinity on this side of eternity, or we will understand it, I promise you, in the next. But eventually, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And every person will see the writing on the wall left by the hand of God. God's hand reminds him his color changed. He turns pale in the face. He literally, heart probably skips a beat. The others had failed to interpret. And after all of these others failed to interpret, he calls on Daniel. Might I add, as Sonny would tell me, after his wife tells him to. I tell you right now, I'm the head of my household. I make the decision in my house, but Sonny is the neck. <laughs> that will turn me in the right direction that I need to go. I always have the last word in my house. It's usually yes, ma'am, but I always get the last word, right? The reality of the hand of God and, and him turning towards looking at the writing of the wall. His wife says, nobody gets it. You've even offered all these people royalty, wealth. You've offered them power. You've offered them everything you can. And buddy, people flock. Hey, let me tell you what it says. And they look at the writing on the wall and says, look, I understand 14 languages and that ain't none of them. I don't know what that language is. It's like you, if you've never taken seminary training, like the first time I looked at biblical Hebrew, huh? That's a language? That makes sense? And they none of them can do it. None of them are even going to try. They look at the writing on the wall and says, I'll tell you what it is, king. Nope. Because if I get this wrong, because he's that type of king. And his wife says, hey, call Daniel. You've forgotten about this Daniel guy, but let me tell you. She calls Daniel and Daniel interprets it. And when Daniel interprets it, he gives them this. They called Daniel because of the third thing that I want to point out. The reputation of God's people is essential to securing the salvation of the lost. They called Daniel because his reputation preceded him. i got a question, brothers and sisters in Christ. Does your reputation precede you? Does your reputation go before you? I assure you it does. The question is, what type of reputation do you have? Because Daniel was the type of reputation where people called on him when nothing else worked. When the proverbial crap hits the literal fan, they call Daniel and say, what is it? And Daniel steps up to the plate. He speaks boldly. And when people come to us as Christians in their deepest need, are you ready? Because Daniel was. Where are you going to point them to? 
Because Daniel points them straight to God. When people come to you and I as Christians and says, look, there's something different about your life. I need this wisdom that comes from the Most High God that you have. Where do you point them to? And I pray that you are knowledgeable enough in Scripture to understand that we need to point them to God, the Father, and God alone. Because that's exactly what Daniel does as he speaks boldly. It's not about Daniel. And for me and you, it's not about us. When, when people come to us, we don't boldly claim, huh, about time you came. Daniel humbly says, hey, look, O king. But he tells him, God's not happy with you. And he points them to God. He speaks boldly. And he points to the works of God because it's not about him. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to make a defense for our faith, but to do so with gentleness and kindness. Gentleness and kindness does not mean to take away the bold and the truthful. He speaks boldly at the expense of his own life potentially because he's not exactly got good news. Let's look at the news that he gives them. Mene, mene, teko, perez. That's how it's supposed to be said, I guess. Hebrew was a long time ago. Thank God that his word tells us exactly what these interpretive words mean in verse 26. So Daniel tells him what it means, and it says this, God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end. And notice he says it twice. God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end. You, King Nebuchadnezzar, or King Belshazzar, God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end. Can I ask you a question, Christians, believers, followers in Christ? What sin in your life has God had enough of that He's ready to put it to an end? Are you ready to put it to an end before God does in His way? Are you reading the writing on the wall in front of you? He tells them, Tekel. He says, you have been weighed and you have found deficient. I love it. You have been lacking. You don't cut the mustard, he tells them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me tell you, it's easy for us to look at this story and say, yay, followers of God. Yay, Christians. But I think we relate to Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar as individuals and as a nation much more than we would want to admit. Now, don't get me wrong. Yay, Christians. Yay, Daniel. Yay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yay, God! But woe is me as well. He tells them, you've been weighed and found deficient. How would your life weigh on the scales of righteousness? Because it's not the scales of those around you, because that's what the king looks at. I am king. I'm Belshazzar. And he prides himself on everything in his position. Are we priding ourselves on anything less than who God is and what He's done for us? And if not, we need to fix it. And then finally he tells him, Perez, your kingdom has been, notice the past tense, has been already determined at this point. In other words, your kingdom has been divided and given to your enemies ultimately. This is the head of gold from Daniel chapter 2, verse 39 that we talked about earlier. The head of gold is no more. What idols in your life need to be beheaded? Because it's easy for us to say, oh, they have the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. We don't have idols. Sure we do. Gods of success. The gods of pleasure. If we would just call them that. The god of entertainment. Even the god of family. I love my bride, but the day I put her before my god is the day that she becomes an idol. And I've set her up for failure to a role that she can't fulfill. I need us to understand finally the difference on how God deals with the lost here with Belshazzar and how God deals with Christians in our sin. Because we do have sin. And the difference is that our sin has been covered. And His grace is sufficient. 
The difference is that when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, and we humble ourselves before an Almighty God, then we can be forgiven. See, that's the difference between Daniel and Belshazzar, and I pray this, the difference between us and the world, that we would humble ourselves and see our need for a Savior. We have grace, but we shouldn't. But should we go on sinning is a question. And Romans makes that quite clear. Nay, in all these things, no, you shouldn't go on sinning just because you have grace on top of grace as we sing. He says, absolutely not. Our salvation rests with God. Daniel's wisdom came from God. And Belshazzar's judgment came from God as well. Do not test the Lord your God. And whether we realize it or not, whether the world realizes it or not, whether the lost knows it or not, He is the Most High and He is the Lord their God. We are all dependents on God and we will turn to Him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess in this life or the next. We'll be like Daniel. Will we rather be like Daniel who stayed with God from the very beginning? Or will we be more like Belshazzar that says, look at me and my righteousness. Guys, we need them. As we look through Daniel, I hope that we see that it's not about you. Never been about you. It's not about Daniel, but rather what God has done through Daniel. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters in Christ. God can do mighty works through you. He is ready to do mighty works through you. Young people that are graduating, let me tell you, He knows the plans He has for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you hope in a future. Mom that struggles with picking up toys for the 15th time in the same day. Dad that struggles with uh, giving it all you've got at work and coming home tired and needing to give some from the family. Children that struggle with trying to figure out life. Children, yes. Toddlers, yes. Five and six-year-old kids, they have struggles in life too, and they are no less difficult than ours. But we must teach them to turn to God because that's who it's all about. We need Him. If you've never confessed Him or turned to Him, Come see me and I'll tell you how. It's pretty simple. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and now shall be saved. Holy God, my Father, thank You for who You are and all that You've done. Father, I pray that as we close in song, that the words of our mouth and meditations of our heart will be acceptable to You. Father, I pray that we will turn to You. I pray that we'll be more like Daniel, a little less like Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Father, I pray that we will follow You. I pray that we remember the things that You have done for us. The things that You have done for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The things that You did for Daniel. The things that You did for Your disciples. Father, I pray that we will remember You throughout all of history's past so that we can reverence You for all of our days here and to come in the future. And Father, and as we do that, I pray that we will worship You everything that we have. I pray that we will teach our children to do the same. I ask all these things in the name of the name of my Savior, Jesus the Christ. All God's children said,